0: good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight, we come to the last verses in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and uh, the title of our lesson is Adam and Christ, and it's going to take us uh, two weeks to kind of work our way uh, through these verses, so we'll get to part one uh, tonight. Now, I'm sure that most of you uh, in school, whether it's in high school or college, have encountered a subject that might have been uh, difficult or complex or, or hard to understand. And that can happen for a couple of reasons. Uh, sometimes it might be the teacher's fault. Maybe the teacher is confused or they don't really understand their their subject or or maybe they're just not very good at at teaching. But in other cases, it could be that the subject itself is complex. When I was in college, I took uh, calculus, and I had a great teacher. He was the best teacher I ever had. Uh, He understood his subject completely, and he taught and explained it very well. Uh, But at the end of the day, guess what? It was still hard, because calculus is hard. Um, I bring this up because tonight's passage that we're going to begin going through is, you might find it difficult. You might find it complex. You might... Uh, find it uh, hard to to follow and it's not Paul's fault we we know that Paul knows what he's talking about after all he is speaking as an inspired apostle an inspired messenger uh, of God Uh, it just turns out that he is dealing with salvation he is dealing with the work of Christ at a level quite honestly that pushes the limits of the human mind so I wanted to bring this up up front. Don't panic um, or don't be discouraged if you don't completely understand uh, what we're covering t- tonight. That's okay. In fact, <laughs> it'll actually put you in, in good company. The Apostle uh, Paul, uh, Peter said this about Paul in 2 Peter 3. He said this, Our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So even Peter uh, admitted that some things that Paul writes are hard to understand, and 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 one and this and this passage tonight uh, really falls into that category. Okay, with that out of the way, we've come to chapter five, and as we get here, there is a distinct change of emphasis in in the letter. Now, the theme of the letter hasn't changed. Um, chapters one through eight. The theme of the letter is pretty much the same. It's the righteousness of God obtained through faith apart from works. But there's different sections. For example, the first section uh, from 118 to 320 is why we need the righteousness of God. The second section from 321 to 425 is how we get the righteousness of God. And the section that we're in now, chapter 5 through 8, is what does the righteousness of God or the work of of Christ on the cross, what does it do for us? Now, as we come here to chapter 5, that's what Paul's trying to get across. He wants us to see the work of Christ in a different way. He wants us to see it more clearly. And in order to do that, he's going to compare Jesus with Adam. He's going to compare and contrast. He's going to compare because there's some things about the two that are the same. And he's going to contrast because of course there are things about them that are different. Now, why would Paul do this? Let, let's just go ahead and ask that question. Why, you know, he's been telling us that Jesus died for us, that he demonstrated his love for us, all this good stuff. And now he's going to go into this kind of complex argument comparing Christ to Adam. Well, why would he why would he do that? Well, he's going to do it for two reasons. Number one, sometimes when we want to understand something better. Uh, it helps to compare it with something else. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I was trying to to give you a a visual uh, so that you could grasp the size of the nation of Israel. So I came to you and I said, well, the area of the nation of Israel is 20,770 square kilometers. 440 of that is water and the rest is land. Now, by the way, that is factual. That is true, what I just told you. But I doubt very seriously that it helps you at all visualize or grasp how big Israel is. But what if I said this, Israel can fit into Florida seven times. Well, immediately, my guess is in your mind, you just had a picture of Florida in your mind and you can kind of set Israel up around Jacksonville or around Pensacola or Miami and you start to get an idea because we understand Florida. We get up, we've got that. So comparing the two helps us to get a better grasp. Listen, that is exactly what Paul is doing. That's exactly what Paul is doing. His aim is that we see the work of Christ more clearly, that we grasp it, that we understand it in a better way. So to do that, he's comparing it and contrasting it with Adam. Here's the second reason he does it. He wants us to see... That there is no other Savior. Now listen, we all sin as individuals. We all commit sin. Um, uh, The Bible tells us Paul has clearly already told us that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have individual sins that we're responsible for. And that is true and that is concerning and it's important. And Paul addresses it in other places in Romans as well as in other books. But listen to me, our individual sins are not his concern in this particular passage. The focus of this text, and Paul is going to say it over and over and over again, is that the foundational problem of humanity is not our individual sins, although they are important, but it's this connection that we all have with Adam's sin. Now, I want to show you this very quickly so you can see what I'm talking about. Verse 15 says this, "...by the transgression of the one," talking about Adam, "...many died." Verse 16, "...the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation." Verse 17, "...by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one." Verse 18, "...through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men." And verse 19, "...through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners." So you can see here, it's the many to the one. One sin affected us all, or the, the many. So what Paul wants us to see here is this damage done by Adam's sin affects everybody. Men, women, rich, poor, black, white, American, Russian. It affects all human beings in all places and at all times. Now the good news is that there is a Savior from that damage who stands as kind of a a second Adam, if you will. And this Savior is not a tribal deity. Jesus is not a Christian God that stands alongside a Muslim God and a Hindu God and 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 a Jewish God. No. The work of Christ is not limited to one people group and one certain place at one certain time in history. That's why the Bible says there is no other name given among uh, men whereby we must be saved there is salvation in in no other that's why jesus said no one comes unto the father except through me see the fact that adam is the father of all means that jesus is the savior of us all the fact that adam's sin affected us all uh, means that jesus is the only savior from that sin now one quick side note before we move on And I'm going to say this in real three simple words. Adam is real. The fact that Paul mentions Adam eight times in ten verses shows you how important Adam is to the teachings of sin and the doctrines of sin in the Bible. I want to read you a quote from the American Atheist. This is a magazine. It said this, Christianity has fought, still fights, and will fight science to the desperate end over evolution. Because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. Destroy Adam and Eve and original sin, and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. If Jesus was not the Redeemer who died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. By the way, that statement is dead on. If evolution is true, then there is no such thing as Adam. And if there is no such thing as Adam, there is no such thing as sin. And if there's no such thing as sin, then we don't need a Savior. Evolution destroys what Jesus came for. So so Adam is absolutely real. Now, let's move on and begin uh, going into our scripture. Now, Paul begins his comparison between Adam and Christ with the words, just as. Let's read verse 12. He says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, we know he's doing a comparison, right? We've already seen that. So what words would we expect to find in the next verse? If he started out by saying just as through one man, we would expect the next verse to say so also through one man. Or or just as one man did this, so also another man did this. And by the way, that's exactly what we find in verse 18. Verse 12 said, just as sin came into the world through one man, verse 18 says, so also one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The problem is there's five verses in there, 13 through 17. It takes him five verses to get to that comparison. Now, why is that? It's almost as if Paul breaks off and doesn't finish his thought. Now, the reason he does this is probably because he realizes that he has just said something that could easily be misunderstood, and he needs to clarify it. Let's go back and read the verse again, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men. Why, Paul? Why did death spread to all men? He says this, because all sinned. Now, this is what he's just said. Adam sinned, right? Adam sinned, let death into the world. That death now spread to every human being. Why? And he says, because all sinned. Now, he's going to have to clarify that. Before he does, I want to ask you a question. If you don't get anything else from this passage, it should be very clear that Adam's sin affects us. Okay, If nothing else, we should be able to see that Adam's sin affects us. Now the question is how. It affects us in two ways. Here's the first way. It's something known as the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin says that as a result of Adam's sin, we all enter the world with a sinful nature. Now, this is pretty easy to understand. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you got parents with fair skin, you're probably going to have a child with fair skin. If you've got parents with dark skin, you're probably going to have a child with dark skin or brown hair or curly hair or blue eyes, right? It's all about genetics. Well, the doctrine of original sin is saying because of Adam's sin, we are all born into the world with sinful tendencies, with sinful desires, a uh, uh, bent towards sin, if you will. So original sin is inherent in us when we're born. It's who we are. Now, by the way, this is taught all over the Bible. Uh, David said in Psalms 51 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He doesn't mean that my my mother and father sinned in order to conceive me. He's saying, I came out of the womb uh, a sinner Psalm 58.3 says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Well, we're all wicked at one point, right? Which means we come out of the womb already enemies of God. Or Titus one, fifteen says this, To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and their conscience are defiled. I'm sure over the years you've probably heard it said, We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. A couple of years ago I was at Tractor Supply and I, I wanted to get some chickens and they had a, a little box with some chicks in it and they were only like two dollars. And I read the sign on the box and, and the reason they were so cheap is because they could not tell which ones were male and which ones were, were female. And if you know anything about chickens you know that when they're babies they're notoriously hard uh, to tell the difference between a male and a female. So on the box, it had a sign that said, we don't know. And so I only wanted about three uh, hens, and so I bought six. And I thought, okay, well, I got a 50-50 chance, right? Three roosters and three hens. Well, it turned out that every single one of them were hens, and every single one of them laid eggs. Now, here's the thing. They didn't lay eggs, and then I realized they were hens, right? They were already hens, and that's why they laid the eggs. They didn't turn into hens when they laid eggs. They they laid the eggs because that's who they already were. Well, see, that's the way we are as human beings. We lay the eggs of sin, if you will, and we don't become sinners at that point. We're laying those eggs of sin because that's already who we are uh, in our very nature. So because of what Adam did and because of his sin, We're all born with a sin nature. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, if you will. Now, I think most people get that. I think that's pretty accepted. I think we kind of... And by the way, that's actually proven out by experience because every single person that's born on this planet, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is a sinner. There's not a single one that's lived a perfect life other than him. So it's born... This doctrine is actually born out uh, in practice, down throughout history. Now, that one's pretty easy to accept, but there's a second one that's a little bit tougher to swallow. This is known as the doctrine of imputed sin. Now, the doctrine of imputed sin teaches us that Adam's sin is charged not just to Adam, but to all of us, we are regarded, if you will, as having sinned in Adam. Therefore, we're deserving of the same punishment. Put it in a nutshell, we're considered guilty of his sin. Now, you can see in verse 18 that Paul seems to teach this. Let me read it to you. He says this So also, as one trespass, one sin, led to condemnation for all men. There's that one to many. You got one sin. And by that one sin, all of us were condemned. Now, as I said, this is a bitter pill to swallow, or it seems to be a bitter pill to swallow. Why would that be? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's not fair. That doesn't seem fair to us. I didn't do it. Adam did it. Why should I be charged with something that he did? Now, how all this works is is mysterious, to be honest. But the best way I can explain it to you is by something known as the representative view. In other words, God appointed Adam as a representative for the human race. Now, let me show you something that's really interesting that kind of leads toward this. Did you notice in verse 12, the very first verse we read, who Paul blamed for sin entering the world? He says, let me read it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, that's very significant because, see, Paul is well aware as we are that sin didn't enter the world through the man. Sin entered the world through Eve, through the woman. She was the first one to sin. But notice Paul doesn't care about that at all. You see, the fact is Adam was given the authority. Adam was given the headship. Now, it's his blame to shoulder because of that. You see, in his position as our representative, Adam made a decision, and he took an action that affected all of us. Think about, for example, a president. We elect a president, and that president can make a decision. For example, he can declare war on another country. Now, I, I don't even know the people in that other country. I have no problem with necessarily the people in the other country. But once that president, as our representative, once he makes that decision and declares war, he places every citizen of America at war with every citizen of this other country because he is our representative. You see, this is what imputed sin is or how it works. You see, when Adam rebelled from God, when he declared war on God, if you will, we went with him. See, now uh, what this is, imputed sin is a ruin of our standing before God. Because we come from Adam, we are born into this world estranged from God, enemies of, of God. It's not an internal thing, it's not something we do, but it's a guilt or a standing or a status that's charged to us outside of anything that we've done. Now, that may sound to you like terrible news. But it turns out it is some of the best news you've ever heard. In fact, it's wonderful news because here's the parallel. Just as Adam's sin is credited and charged to us because we are in him, in the same way or so also Christ's righteousness can be credited and charged to us because we are in him. Come back to verse 18. This is exactly what Paul says. So also as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, in the same way, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, here's the thing. Is that what Paul is really teaching? Is he really teaching that we are guilty of Adam's sin? Well, you see, this is why his clarification in verses 13 through 17 are so important. Remember, he has just said in verse 12, all people died because all sin. And he stops and says, you know what? Maybe I need to clarify that. Maybe I need to answer this question. Are people dying because of their own sin? Or are they dying because of Adam's sin? Let's walk through those verses and see what he says. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And then Paul says, wait a minute. Maybe I need to explain what I just said there. So he goes on. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law of Moses was given. So Paul says, let's look at the time in history before the law was given, before God, his revelation was actually written down or codified in written words. He says, before that time, let's look at that area. He said this, people were sinning right? But notice what he said. Sin is not counted. It's not charged. It's not punished where there is no law. And then watch what he says in verse 14. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So he said, even before people had God's written word telling them what to do, do this, don't do that. Before they had any of that, he says, guess what? Everybody died. He wants us to see that universal human death is not owing to our individual sins against the, the word of God or the Mosaic law. People died even though their individual sins were not being counted. So here's the thing. If breaking God's law wasn't the reason they died, then then what was? Now, there's an objection coming at this point, and Paul, Paul already knows what's going to come. There were people that says, now wait a minute, Paul. Even before the Mosaic law was given, even before the Ten Commandments and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of that, even before then, God was speaking to people. God spoke to Cain and Abel. God spoke to uh, Noah. God spoke to Abraham. He was still telling people or giving people uh, revelation. So maybe their death was owing to disobeying those commands or those laws or by the way let's go back to Romans 1 do you remember what Paul said that inside of each one of us is a moral law that we can look at creation and we should know God just by going outside and looking at the things that he's made he said therefore at the last day no one will have an excuse that they didn't know so here's Paul and he adds the following words let's read verses 13 and 14 together he says this, for sin indeed was in, in, was in the world before the law of Moses was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, and watch what he says, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now what's he mean? See, Adam had a command from God, a very precise command, do not eat the tree of the, of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not do it. You see, Adam knew what was right, and Adam knew what was wrong, and he chose wrong. Paul says there are people that are dying, and they didn't sin like that. In other words, there are people who didn't have that knowledge. They didn't know right from wrong. They, they didn't have the Mosaic law. They didn't have a moral law. They didn't have any type of revelation from God. Well, And guess what? They still die. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about babies. He's talking about infants. He's talking about small children. He's talking about the mentally infirm. See, these are are human beings that can't look at creation and see revelation of the Creator. These are human beings that can't yet read the law on their heart and know there's a God. They, They can't open up the Word of God. But guess what? they still die. Well, here's the thing. Why? Whose sins are they dying for? The answer is because of the sin of Adam and the imputation of his sin to the human race. In other words, death reigns over all of us, even over those who did not sin against a known and understood law. Now, this brings us to the focal point of this passage. Right at this point, Paul says, in mentioning Adam, he said this, Who was a type of the one who was to come? Who was a type of the one who was to come? Now, why did Paul insert those words exactly at this point? Well, you'll have to wait till next week to get the answer to this that question when we'll look at Adam and Christ, uh, part two. Let's pray. Father... We know as we come to uh, chapter 5 of Romans that this is a difficult uh, passage, but uh, it's important. There's an old saying that you don't dig for treasure with a rake. Sometimes digging for treasure is hard and it's difficult, but there's something there waiting for each one of us. And I think next week we'll see exactly what that was. In the meantime, Lord, keep us in your word. Keep us focused on you and keep us believing in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.